Susie Elkins is the Director of Broadcasting and General Manager of WKAR Public Media at Michigan State University. As Station Manager, Elkins has overseen all programming, including original content production and partnerships for the station's three broadcast channels and digital platforms. We're pleased to have her with us today to talk about her career, creating content during a pandemic, and how WKAR engages with their audiences. The Speakeasy Podcast, real talk about leadership and sanity in the creative industry. I'm Karen Steffel. And I'm Jen Estel. Managing creativity in business, we probably have an opinion on that. No prohibitions. Clearly, we have cocktails. Hey, Susie. Susie, welcome. Hi, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And even though we are still recording in a virtual environment, it's great to be together. We can see each other over this great technology that we're using on Squadcast. Um, but first, we're all going to do a quick cheers with the hibiscus tea sparkler. Jen, what is in this thing? This is so fantastic. It's an iced tea, iced hibiscus with a little bit of sparkling um, whatever you want in there, like a club soda would work or any sparkling juice and a little bit of a mint on top, which mm -hmm. gives it a nice little, it's a very refreshing tea. It's a nice, it's a nice little beverage to enjoy the last days of summer, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I've been sitting at my kitchen table for three, four months now. This is my new desk, my new, and so, and it's in, it's in the kitchen. And so I've been thinking I need something to look forward to some reason to get up off of, out of this table and go find something yummy to drink. And, um, so I've been trying all kinds of new things, but this is really delicious. I love this one. Perfect. So Tell us a little bit about how you got your job. I kind of, I feel like I've known you forever, but um, since we were we, we kids in college, but <laughs> tell us about how you, um, your career path. Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, we've known each other for a long time because I think we both were trying to take advantage of everything MSU had to offer, get our hands on equipment and, you know, learn as much as we can. And so um, I actually started um, I, I went to CMU for my first couple of years and um, took some production classes there. And they have a really great Moore Hall television was like where I learned production. And um, but a lot of my friends were at Michigan State and I ended up meeting the some staff members at WKAR. And um, they said, why don't you transfer and you can come and work for us. And so I did. <laughs> I ended up getting a job at, at WKAR and um and just learned so much. And I, when I graduated, I left and I worked at a 24-hour cable news station in Chicago for about a year. But um, that was all I needed to realize how much I loved public media and how much I missed campus and being with students and just the, all the creativity and buzz that happens on a university campus. And um, so I came back into a full-time position at WKAR, mainly working with faculty in their distance education courses. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I've had quite a few different positions through the station since then, but we're going on 25 years now. So <laughs> I've been really lucky. I, absolutely. I think you and I are rare birds in terms of like, we both have, you know, we both have careers at almost a single place. That's pretty rare. Yeah. Especially these days that just doesn't really happen anymore. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I, I do feel really lucky that I've been one of the reasons it doesn't happen anymore. I think is people just want change. They want a challenge, you know, you're, 
it feels um, creative to be trying something new. And you and I have both been able to manage that. You know, um, every time I started to feel a little bit bored or like, uh, it's maybe time to move on, some other opportunity opened up where I thought, oh, now I'm back in a position where I have no idea what I'm doing. This is great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and that's growth. I'm sure Jen's in the same boat. Like, you know, as you're, um, every day is a different day. And as long as you're still learning, um, then life is great. It's true. That that is a good, that's a good pin on that discussion for sure. I have a quick question though, because Karen, you sort of mentioned that I perceive that there are not a ton of really powerful women in broadcasting and production. And here I am looking at two of them. So do you guys feel like there's tons of you around or is that kind of a unique space? Well, I'll, I'll just say, um, I think we're gaining (laughs) more women in the, in the production space, but we still have a long way to go. And I think it's been hard fought. Um, and I think it's been exciting just in these past few years, really to see people, um, find their voices and speak up. And, um, so I've been really excited about that. I'll say, um, you know, 25 years ago when I started, I was, um, there were other female students in production, but not many. And, um, I was really lucky. WKAR actually was forward thinking and we had one of the um, few audio engineers, female audio engineers that existed. And Nancy Kelly was here at the station and um, just really sharp. And so um, I felt like I wasn't so out of place in in that sense. And I also just didn't know better because I hadn't been anywhere else at at the time. But um, I were you know, um, still I was just checking to see, and I'm now a general manager of a station and, um, there's only about 25, 25% of all the general managers in the public broadcasting world are female. So we, I think we still have a ways to go. And, you know, 20 years ago, that number was teeny tiny, was not even close to that. And so, um, I think public broadcasting, like the rest of the media industry is recognizing that, um, we're better when we have more diverse voices and, um, perspectives. And so, um, there's a concerted effort to make sure that we're, um, reaching out and, and pulling people up with us as we go. Um, and you know, uh, our CEO and president of PBS is, is a woman, Paula mm-hmm. Kerger. She's amazing. And actually the head of the corporation for public broadcasting is a woman as well. Uh, uh Pat Harrison. So, I have a lot of role models in in the public broadcasting world that I look up to, but um, I think that both Pat and Paula would agree, and they I've heard them say it many times that we have a ways to go here, and um, it's it's just imperative that we move the needle in terms of uh, gender equality, and then and also just uh, racial equality, and any any time any equity is an important conversation across the board for our country, but we're especially um, uh, trying to take action in the public media world with regard to that. That's fantastic. Yeah. I've said this, I've said this before on a different episode, but we're only now, um, having a generation of, of people who have had steam education. Those kids are only now in college right now. And so that's an entire generation of, of women who have seen, um, steam, steam focused, careers as an option that they've actually had that introduced regularly. So, um, I think that we'll see some momentum pick up, at least that's my hope. And I agree with you. I think equity across the board, um, is really important. And I, and I, I'm interested to hear because I know WKAR and public media in general, um, 
has a good focus on niche audiences. And so we can talk about that in a minute as well. But before we do tell us a little bit about how does WKAR work from a, you know, like it's, it's inside of a university, um, and you, you have different funding streams and, uh, you're, that you're beholden to. Yeah. Um, I think I've always thought that the public broadcasting model was really interesting. And we often say we were the first crowd funders. We were the first, you know, like it, it was born of a necessity because so much commercial programming is based on just trying to get as many eyeballs as possible. So, um, because you need advertisers and advertisers want to go to the most popular programs. And so, um, uh, I think the, the reason the, the public broadcasting, um, exist is because people saw a need to uh, be able to provide content that was important for all citizens in the country. And whether it's educational or cultural, um, we we also need to exist in rural areas where commercial broadcasters won't go because there's not enough population. Um, and so in order to do that, we um, the country built an infrastructure where we can reach 98% of the population um, and provide content that is partially funded through federal funding. Um, and in our case, we're a university licensee. So, you know, our, our funding model is that we um, apply for our uh, community service grants to be a, an NPR station and a PBS station. So the, that money is held by CPB, the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And so um, it's we have to perform our mission, and that's leveraging our content um, to connect with uh, our viewers and listeners. And then um, the rest of our budget comes from, you know, as a university licensee, Michigan State puts in about a third, and then we raise the rest. And so that means we ask our viewers and listeners to support um, the content that they listen to and watch every day, even though it comes to them for free and they don't have to. Um, most of our members believe in public broadcasting and believe in that necessity that all citizens deserve access to the arts and access to educational um, information to help them be informed voters. And, you know, this just wouldn't happen in the broadcasting world if if broadcasters, if all broadcasters had to um, fight for advertising dollars. And so, you know, that's sort of how uh, we were born and how we try to facilitate our um, our existence still today. It's always a constant fight to make sure that uh, people understand that the necessity for that small bit of federal funding and how much we leverage that, you know, in a in that really successful public-private partnership. It's really kind of amazing that it works, but it does. And people are willing to send their hard-earned cash, even in times of COVID. It's really been amazing to me, the people that have reached out and said, I believe in you now more than ever. I can't, you know, I couldn't function without listening to, you know, your classical music or your NPR news or, you know, um, uh, just being able to have a respite in, in watching my dramas or, you know, so anyway, I think that that's really what's unique about public media and what uh, drew me to it the most is just, um, sometimes we have really teeny tiny audiences and that's okay because, um, those folks deserve to be served in, you know, with, with what they need and, um, we can do that. Yeah. I think that's really amazing. And I think, I think in the case of, um, Michigan public radio, with journalism having such a hard time right now and, um, you know, but whether it's print journalism or, or otherwise, I think making sure that there's a source that people trust, um, it's just so important. Just yeah. so my perception, 
my perception of it too is your your content doesn't have to be homogenized because you're not trying to please the masses in order to please the advertisers. So that is different. And I think your content can get a little more niche. It can get more specific. And so the the take I see from public broadcasting is different than what I see from other broadcasters. Yeah, well, that's really astute and a really um, good point, Jen. And that's something that I think is what makes us unique. It's really funny because if you're a traditional programmer on a commercial station, you're trying to hold on to that audience as long as possible. So, you know, you are programming your schedule to hopefully people stay on your channel all night or, you know, and, and for us, we, we, we program in that way sometimes too, like Wednesday nights, it's science night. So people who love science will watch on that night or Thursday might, you know, will be history or things like that. So we do it to a certain extent but mainly just so people can find us and find the type of programming that they like. Mm -hmm. But it's also highly normal for us to say, well, we're going to change this up a bit because, you know, people really like that. Now we need something different for people who don't only like this. You know, now we want something, you know, um, dramas on Sundays are much different than our Wednesday nights. And, um, and on our channels like Create and World, those are a little bit more targeted toward, you know, Create would be for people who like DIY, but they might be knitters or they might be chefs or they might be painters. And yeah. so they're not going to sit and watch forever because you know they they're it's it's targeted to um, people with different tastes and interests and things but we can afford to do that because those folks support us and um, like Jen said we're not trying to be all things to all people in the hopes of you know um, getting the most amount of eyeballs it's sort of the opposite of let's find all of our people who aren't being served anywhere else and serve them as best we can with ultimate customer service and make sure that they know we care about them and um, so we're partners in this and, you know, we'll bring some funding to the table, but, you know, you meet us halfway because you appreciate what we're doing. And that also keeps us really on our toes because what we create has to be relevant. It has to match people's needs and desires and it has to motivate them to send us their money when they don't have to, frankly, yeah. you know, it's free over the air. And so, you know, it's really a special partnership that we have. Yeah. Well, and speaking of staying on your toes, you know, here you are running, is it, it's four, four channels plus radio and, um, and, and then the pandemic hits and how do you, how do you create content at a distance? That's keeping on your toes for sure. Yeah, it's, it's, um, that customer service piece and serving, you know, our, our schedule, but then we, a huge component of any public broadcasting station is the ability to create local content and really connect, um, the, the programming, the national programming to the local audience. And we do that through creating programs like Off the Record, which, you know, we distribute statewide and Curious Crew, which is our children's program that's distributed nationally. And, you know, how, how, and then of course our daily local news, which we really stepped up during um, this time, you know, so it's ironic at the time when we have the least amount of resources, we have to work harder than we've ever, you know, provide more content than we've ever provided before because it's, you know, um, people really are relying on us to have safety information. I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's a life or death situation when you're talking about a, a pandemic like this. And mm -hmm. so in the, those early days, you know, it's not like we could just say, well, we're all going to go home and work the best we can from home. Um, it's, you know, what we do, we do. It was just sort of like, we, we all need to figure out how to do this remotely and then also double up on the 
on the amount of content that we're doing. And so it was tricky, but I just, I'm so incredibly impressed and proud of our team for, um, figuring out, I mean, even they were, they were being proactive and thinking if this really hits, you know, what do we do? So they were prepping computers and their editing software and, uh, prepping hard drives with content and things that they would need to, to utilize at home. And so we were able to, within a week, we had pretty much everybody at home, um, and even our hosts and reporters for radio were, they were hosting all things considered a morning edition from their homes within days. And, um, a lot of stations, it took weeks and sometimes months to get to that point, And they were just using, you know, they didn't have any local hosts and that just wasn't an option for us. And we have a really talented team. And, um, so they, I didn't even have to say anything. They were telling me, this is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to do it. And it was just really, um, a proud moment for me. And we launched a live blog with uh, health information and um, we put uh, created it in English and Spanish, which we'd never done before. But our community uh, groups uh, had been telling us, you really need to be thinking about um, some of the marginalized communities that are relying on life or death health inform- health information. And um, so we tried some new things and we're still doing that. And um, we launched a new weekly statewide show called COVID-19 um, Answers and Insights with one of our faculty members in the College of Communication Arts and Sciences, uh, Sean Turner. And that was incredible. We just turned video conferencing software. We redesigned how we'd been doing TV for, you know, 50 years and, <laughs> and, and are utilizing, you know, software and technologies that we wouldn't have touched before, but that they are working just fine in this, in this situation. Everybody's adapted really well. Yeah. It's really amazing how, um, out of necessity, people have gotten so innovative and really challenged, um, you know, question, you know, why is it that we do it this way and, and how can we do it better? And, um, how can we be nimble? And I think it's, it's just been really impressive across the board, how, um, how people have innovated to solve new problems that we've, that we've been handed. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's exciting. And as a listener and a viewer, it was so seamless. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like the technology is so good. Everything was so seamless. You didn't drop a ball at all. It was really impressive to see, which for those of us who are trying to figure out how to use new technologies in our business, it's it's almost easy to forget that the pros had to do it too, and they had to learn new things. So well, just thank you. Good That's feedback. Really kind. It, it, we couldn't tell at all. It was fantastic. It was so smooth, which well, means you know what you're doing, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you you always hope so. And certainly we've made mistakes and, you know, it's not always perfect, but I appreciate you saying that. And, and honestly, we're always coming from let's not get so worried. Let's just do what we can do to serve our audiences and they'll forgive us if it's not perfect. And, um, that's just been really true. I mean, we really rely on our, um, member drives for instance, and we had to do one in April, like right as this was hitting and we had really some pretty, um, uh, complex conversations about what does that mean to be asking for donations in a time like this when people are really struggling. And, mm-hmm. um, but we, we then had to kind of say, 
what, what we're offering is extremely important. And if we don't do that, we have a responsibility to ask and give people an opportunity if they can to support, because if we don't, then we're making that decision for them that we won't exist. And so it is, it does become essential that we figure out what's the right tone, what's the right approach. Um, and we completely changed up right at the last second. We normally would do a week every, you know, every day, all day. Um, and we just did one day a week so that we could make sure that we were providing as much news as possible. I mean, often we have to take some programming away to have time to be asking for um, uh, donations. And our team was really sensitive to that. And, you know, it was, they felt twofold. It was problematic to be asking for donations, but then also to be taking away that needed content at, mm -hmm. right when people needed it the most. And so we, again, they got really creative and got a lot of good feedback from donors that gave more than they normally do actually um, on in some instances saying, you know, this can't, this can't go away. No matter what you guys have to stay strong because we need this local, you know, we're public broadcasters are some of the last locally owned and independent stations in the country mm -hmm. as, as, uh, media organizations are, you know, this, these conglomerates are buying up more and more stations and, um, and then in the programming schedule, as that happens, just becomes the same across the board. And, um, so local communities don't see themselves reflected. They don't get local information. And with COVID, as we know, it's highly targeted. I mean, this contact tracing and what's happening in really small pockets of the community become extremely important. And we can talk about that better than, than anybody. And I think that's where we have found, um, we can be really useful. So, you know, my message to the staff is be proud of what you're doing and know that it has value and know that if we don't, um, you know, convey that, then we're making a decision for our donors that, you know, they don't have to give, but we're going to have a much lesser product and, and may not, you know, be able to make it long term. And so um, the best option for us was to be honest, provide as much content as possible, but give people a chance to support if they can and if they um, felt inclined. And so far, we've been really blessed with this community is incredible in terms of supporting news and information and the arts and just being, you know, wanting to be vibrant and wanting to share stories. And it's, it's such an awesome place to live and do this kind of work because the community is extremely involved and, um, you know, they challenge us all the time to be, you know, again, on our toes because there's so much we don't cover just because it's, it's just, there's so much happening and so many good things. And, um, so it's just really an honor and a pleasure to be working in a community like this. Well, and that lines up really well too, because when we've, when we've spoken before, you've, you've really, really, um, you know, audience first is always kind of, you know, you're mission driven as an organization and you're so focused on the audience. So what, what it is that they need and what it is that, um, that you need to provide. And so that, that local focus is so special. And I really feel, I've always heard the message that, that really the members are partners, but I really feel that in the way that you talk about, about the audience. Yeah. I mean, they, they call us constantly and say, you messed this up or this was really great. Or, <laughs> I mean, that's one thing when somebody's sending you their money that they could, you know, really save or use elsewhere, you know, they feel like they have a voice and they do. I mean, they're, like I say, when you are independently owned and, and, you know, part of a community, the, the folks that are helping you exist do get a say and we listen. And sometimes we change up our programming based on the feedback that we're getting. And, um, it truly is a partnership. I mean, we, 
we can't do it without them and their contributions. And um, that audience first message is, I think, what has helped us in the in this COVID age is just when you get really overwhelmed and we do, I mean, you guys are leading teams, you know, that you have employees who are anxious and worried and they might have their own personal issues happening at home. And, you know, it's just really trying to balance and make sure that, you know, people's health, uh, physical health and mental health are first and foremost. But then when, you know, that's taken care of, you know, then what, there's a thousand million things to think about and do. And if you just say, Focus in on audience first, let them tell you what they need and how to, how to move forward and just take one step. That's been my message for our team. And I think it, it calms us to say, you know, our, our audiences and listeners tell us what they want and what resonates with them. And so, yes, there's a million things we could do. And, and, um, but as long as we're making sure we're meeting basic needs for them too, we're helping their anxiety levels go down. We're giving them a respite. We're giving them just, you know, information with context and not just, you know, headlines and, um, scare using scare tactics and clickbait and all that stuff. You know, I mean, we can be a space where there's calm and that I think has driven our employees a lot. They feel like they're contributing to their community and, um, you know, it's just, there's, there's a lot, it's a lot, there's a lot to do with, and as you both well know, and, um, but it, it's truly when you think about what's the core mission and what are you trying to accomplish that, that, helps us all take a deep breath and say, okay, we can do this. Yeah, sure. You you had also mentioned, I think before, and, and I've seen this to be true, you're not just engaging through these devices, you are out in the community doing work. So you are engaging in a face-to-face human way with lots of people in our community. So they really do see you as, as part of the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something that we are working on right now that we miss a lot. So Part of the benefit of being a, a PBS uh, member station or an NPR member station is, you know, the, the quality from the national schedules is just second to none. And um, and we create our own local content for sure. But another huge part of what we do is we try to leverage that national content. And it might be, you know, it has, it has a national perspective, but what does it mean for us locally? And we see that as our jobs. Like, let's take a documentary that is really talking about some complex, really difficult to talk about national issues and bring in some of our own local experts, our faculty members from campus. Um, and so we were having two to three screenings a month, you know, with faculty members and panelists coming in to really facilitate these really tough uh, conversations. And believe me, it's kind of scary. Like often we would think about, you know, we look at the documentaries coming to us and think, oh my gosh, this is going to be so hard to have this conversation. People are going to be angry. They're going to be upset. They're going to be, but it's our responsibility to bring people together and have those conversations. Because if we don't do that, who will? And we can employ experts and folks who will help us. And every time after each event, I think, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we did that. I was so nervous and so scared. But and that's having these conversations, it is difficult. It is hard. But the whole point of having these um, amazing uh, documentaries and just this content is to, to leverage it. And where we do it the most and probably the best is in children's education programming. Mm-hmm. Um, so our children's PBS content is second to none. And um, you don't 
become a producer for PBS unless you know how to create. Um, and I mean, literally, you have to put in how diverse your production team is, and you won't get the contract if you aren't working with the diversity of folks on your production team. If you don't have a curriculum-driven educational material um, focus and uh, materials to go with the, each episode, you know, uh, games and um, materials for the website, like it's all driven based on moving the needle in children's literacy or math knowledge, science, all these things. And so we have a director of education who works with teachers and uh, Head Start and, you know, all our um, early childhood and K-12 uh, partners in the community to leverage content through books and um, video and games. And so we've been really figuring out what does that look like now where, you know, we're not going to have 300 kids coming into the station or sometimes we have a thousand in January. We have a PBS Kids Day every January where, you know, a thousand people come through, parents, kids, families, um, partners. And so what what will that look like? And we've done some virtual, um, we, we've started, we have a daily education newsletter for families and and then a weekly newsletter for educators and all highlighting our resources available um and then <clears throat> we have done virtual workshops around curious crew where we would normally do road shows where we bring kids in well we've just been they they tune in through zoom and um and do the experiments that way and talk through the roadshow that way. Um, our education director started a book club. We're working with Impression 5 this week and PNC and Head Start to create bags with free books and all kinds of materials to be distributed um, to Head Start families. And um, based on PBS Kids programming for like we match the books with activities and research shows when you come at it from all those different directions that their literacy skills um, are improved as if they were in an actual preschool classroom. So hmm. it's all research based. It's it's really sometimes it's challenging for us to communicate. We're more than just a TV station or more than just a radio station. There's so much engagement work that happens that, um, you know, uh, our partners certainly know and our families know, but. You know, um, it's always a challenge when you spend all your money doing the actual work and very little on promotion and marketing <laughs> yeah. that can be challenging. So figuring out that balance, I think, um, can be tricky for us, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, that's some of the most rewarding work that we do. Sure. Well, and, and, you know, back when we were able to gather, you know, there's not, there's not a festival or an art fair that you could attend in the community where WKAR wasn't. I didn't have a, a presence. And so whether you're having your volunteers, um, you know, oversee an art project or an experiment or things like that. And it's just wonderful to have you in the community and, and have a presence like that. I'm curious though, as innovative as you've had to be doing some of that visibility virtually right now, what, what's next for WKAR? What are you, what's your crystal ball? Well, um, thank you for asking that question because that's always that's sort of where my job is. I mean, we have such a stellar team that often I just think my job is thinking about what's the future and where you know wh where should I be laying the groundwork for us to move next. Mm -hmm. And um, ironically, we're sort of going back to our roots. So a lot of people might not realize, but WKAR Radio, the AM station, was an experimental license back in 1922. And, no way. Um, yeah. And so we were one of the first and 
and it was an experimental and um, it's just really cool. And um, but we just recently in the past couple of years, there is a new TV television standard that's coming out. And so um, we applied for an experimental license from the FCC to uh, build um, an ATSC3 broadcast uh, chain, essentially, in this. So this is this new standard. And the unique thing about it is it's a hybrid of broadcast technology and broadband technology. So, you know, forever, we've only been able to broadcast to from our towers to television sets, essentially. Well, in this new standard, broadcasters could broadcast to any connected device. So think about this in the context. Lately, we've been thinking about this in the context of what does a true 360 virtual classroom look like and um, for education or for healthcare or, you know, so as broadcasters now, if we could be, you know, broadcasting to a, um, a child's phone, iPad, TV, it almost doesn't matter. So when you think about the equity issue, can can our our infrastructure that covers 98% of the country already, can we be useful in creating this interactive um, virtual classroom space where, you know, kids could seamlessly be going from the classroom or learning at home. Teachers could, you know, facilitate learning just completely in, in a virtual setting. Um, right now, what's missing in that is even if they're teaching via Zoom or some video conferencing uh, approach, there's no way to really get the uh, materials to students without sending them to a website or someplace and maybe they don't have broadband. Um, and so uh, anyway, we see some real opportunity for equity um, to reach kids um, and families that don't necessarily already have that broadband connection and then the ability to um, f help teachers use whatever tools they would normally use. You know, we have this whole broadband space that's facilitated through our broadcast structure. It's very unique. Most people don't know what I'm talking about when we talk about it. But what's exciting is that Michigan State University and WKAR, we were the first public broadcaster to get an experimental license in next-gen technology. We've opened a next-gen media innovation lab and have, um, before COVID hit, we were having all kinds of, even commercial broadcasters coming and saying, hey, we're transitioning to this soon. What can we do with it? Because we we're at the leading edge of figuring that out. So um, I think think it will have real implications for education and health and uh, agriculture and um, mobility in terms of um, connected cars and smart cities. And so it's really exciting for us to be at the forefront of that. And um, we'll continue to do what we've always done and, and serve our community through our mission. But we're always looking for ways to do that more innovatively. That's wow. so exciting. I'm so impressed. <laughs> well, thank you. It's like the yeah. future is happening right here in our backyard. It's, it. it's exciting. I keep, I mean, you can buy a new TV, I guess, if you need one right now, but in a couple of years, you, you know, I mean, more, any smart TV generally will be able to just do a software download and be able to pick up an ATSC3 signal. But um, it's, it'll be, it, the transition's going to take a little, a little bit of time, but um, if we want to be ready with some really innovative uses for it. And actually we, we've been presenting to the FCC and uh, across the country at different conferences about our work um, because it's part of, we want to be thought leaders and help um, accelerate the transition because we think it has such strong implications for public service work. Well, I think too, what's exciting being um, inside of a university, you have a lot of really brilliant people um, at your fingertips who um, with, with your leadership can see how they would apply um, that resource as well and really reach, 
reach deep and far into people's worlds and change it. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think, why the FCC has granted us this license, because we're just a mid-sized, sta- mid-sized station, you know, um, without the backing of MSU and the connection to the researchers who really know how to take a technology like that and think of like some of our researchers are in our own college of communication arts and sciences. They're doing really innovative work around um, healthcare and the elderly. And, you know, when we were talking about this, uh, this technology has ability to wake up TVs or to wake up technology. And so right now they're having to bring folks into different settings to study. You know, if, if you want to think about how to keep someone in their home and keep them independent as long as possible as they age, mm-hmm. then ideally you would be able to study their environment and where they're living and what they're doing and um, think about and, and, and but traditionally we haven't been able to do that, but with this technology now, um, with some, uh, even just a slim back channel, researchers can work with, um, participants in their own home environments and really connect in and see kind of how they're living and what they're doing as opposed to bringing them into some kind of research study setting, which just is not ideal when you're trying to see how to keep someone independent in their own home. Mm -hmm. So when we mentioned what this was, they immediately were making those connections and saying, oh my gosh, this could be, you know, really life-changing for us in terms of our ability to do research. And so the challenge for us is to continue those conversations and try to um, weave into existing research that's happening already. And um, that was a learning moment for me working with our dean to say, you know, how do we get researchers interested in even in Curious Crew and some of these other things that we're doing? You know, his point was, well, they have their life's work that they're working on. They're not going to stop that and then come and look and see what you're doing. And so it was like, well, of course. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, for years I'd been trying to work with faculty on campus forever and I just needed a, our, a dean. Our dean just understands media so well and he's just so sharp. And so he was able to really make that connection and have us um, understand how we could fulfill that mission of supporting faculty and the and students in a way that makes sense for them, but also for us. And it's really just like, let's combine and, and, and weave into what's already happening here and support it. And um, it makes perfect, very logical sense to me now, but I must have spent, you know, 10, 15 years banging my head against the wall thinking, why don't they want to work with us? And it wasn't that they don't want to, it's we couldn't figure out how to connect what we were doing to what they were doing. And um, But we've been written into quite a few NSF grants in the past two years, um, lots of art arts-related grants, and we just finished a, a um, work on a breast cancer research project where we could simulate the doctor talking to um, their a patient um, so that um, people could learn this is the way to have the conversation to help parents and uh, understand the risks of breast cancer in children as they're growing and, and young girls, and just incredible stuff that we never would have thought we could be a part of, but we do have expertise that can be useful for that, and um, it's really helped us a lot. To, to frame it in that way. So I'm super grateful to, to our Dean and for his leadership. He's been really great. Well, we're not getting that from our commercial broadcasters, are we? <laughs> we're so lucky to have you in our community. Well, thank you. I, uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's just a totally different model. And, uh, and so we want to just sort of 
exploit every opportunity that isn't being utilized elsewhere. And, uh, cause I, I think our, our broadcasters in the community really do, they do a great job, but they just, they have a different role to play and, um, and different stakeholders. And so, um, often when we see them doing something really well, we just think, great, let's let them, they'll do that. And then that frees us up to go look in these other areas and, and perform services that, you know, they're just not going to be able to do, even if they really, really wanted to. So, uh, I think that's the key to any business is just, you have you, cause I do consider us a business it's, and we need to think that way in order to innovate and in mm -hmm. order to stay out in front and stay viable. Um, but I think the key is always just who's, where is there a hole? Where is there a gap where, you know, there's need and, and others aren't addressing it. And, uh, we've been successful, particularly in the past few years, just really looking for that need and figuring out how we, how we can, um, support and, and create content and services that, um, fill that gap. Mm, so great. So quickly before, um, assuming there might be somebody who hasn't seen WKAR, where do people find you? What are your channels? Well, we have, it, it kind of depends on if you're free over the air or if you're, um, subscribing to cable or satellite, but we do have our main, um, high definition, channel, um, that's sort of a, a hybrid of children's programming in the morning and then, um, uh, primetime news and then into our primetime schedule. And that is available to everyone, um, 23.1 and over the air. And then we have our sub channels create and world. And, um, those are sometimes carried by some cable operators and, um, not necessarily by the satellites, but so not everybody has access to those. Um, but most people do in our area. Um, and then we have a 24 seven children's channel, um, that is, has been really important. Um, we know, and we encourage kids to watch TV with their parents and caregivers and, uh, research shows that that happens usually around eight to 10 o'clock at night. And I mean, at all hours really, but eight to 10 o'clock and that's our primetime schedule. We weren't offering kids programming then. And so, you know, they were watching programming, but, um, maybe not the most educational and not something that parents would watch with them. And so this 24 seven channel has been really, um, uh, popular and important, particularly for underserved communities. Um, and, you know, think about parents who are working two or three jobs, working odd hours, you know, they still want to have connection with their kids and it's happening whether we know that or not. We have a lot of questions from people saying, why should kids be watching 24 seven? And it's like, you know, they're, everyone has different, um, experiences in their households. And so we just want to be available if they need us. That's all. Um, but that's also a stream. And so, um, you can stream that 24 seven channel. We're available at WKAR.org. Um, we're 90.5 is the radio FM radio station. Um, 105.1 is our news talk. That's a simulcast of AM. AM still goes off the air at dusk. <laughs> so legacy, but the translator can stay on, on the FM station. And so that's all news talk. Um, and we do a lot of streaming these days, um, at WKAR.org. And, uh, I just feel like we're, we're in a lot of different places, but if you go to WKR.org, you can see all of our schedules and, um, any special events and things that we're doing there. Fantastic. Well, we hope, uh, if, if there's, um, any of our listeners who, who are, don't yet support, um, WKR that they, we encourage them to do so. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. It's been a total pleasure 
Susie, having you as a guest. Thank you for your time and, and for your wisdom and for your crystal ball. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> it is so exciting. There's a lot going on there that I just had no idea. Yeah. And it makes me really proud to have that in our community. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you both so much. You're both also providing incredible service to our community. And it's just really been an honor that you would pick me to to talk to in your podcast. It's you guys are doing incredible things. And uh, thank you for being an inspiration. I was telling our team that I was talking with you, you know, two female business owners in this community and just, you know, uh, really providing incredible service. And, and they were like, awesome. Yay. You know? <laughs> very cool. You. Your podcast is very popular. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode. If you liked it, please share it with a friend. Jen, what are we talking about next time? Oh, goodness. Okay. For our next episode, every business is guilty of wasting time and resources at some point. But a wise business owner looks at processes, technologies, and people to figure out if there are any leaks. Join us next time to talk about ways we can adapt and evolve our businesses to minimize waste. Cheers.